Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 209. I did a FaceTime with the lovely Dylan. He was in his car, so you might hear some extraneous noise, but these are the days we are living in. Uh, We had this incredibly interesting conversation, I felt. We talked about all sorts of things, drug addiction, sobriety, relapse, life support, love, parents, dreams, understanding, creativity, power, revenge, psych wards. I mean, lots of stuff in there. This guy has already lived 20 lives in his life so far, and he's only a young man. So uh, it's, it's quite a conversation. In other news, I'm excited to announce that I was part of a really cool project called uh, Sentinels. It's a serial podcast written and directed by Mike Disa, and it's coming out in June of 2020. You can get more information at sentinelspodcast.com. And I had a blast. It was very cool. We did it over Zoom, table read, listening to these epic voices was incredible. These wonderful voiceover actors. Really, it was inspiring. I was very excited to be a part of that. And I'm excited for you to see it. Well, see it. You don't see a podcast, but to listen to it. Coming soon to earbuds near you. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Hey Human podcast can be found on Instagram and Facebook, and I try and do different content for both of those so that you're not seeing the same things on on the various mediums. My personal social medias, Susan Ruthism, is Insta, Facebook, and Twitter, and that's S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I encourage you to donate to Feed America and any of your local food banks. Also, uh, blood, 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 blood. People need blood. So if you are up for it and you feel safe, please go out and donate some blood because we need that in the stores. Not the stores. Not like Kroger, but you know what I'm saying. In the storage is... uh, (laughs) I don't know why I'm so chipper this morning. It's very early and I haven't had coffee. But here we are together. Although, when you're listening to it, of course, it could be any old time. Let's hope you're feeling chipper, too. It's an ebb and flow kind of life these days on chipper and downright just what is going on. So, um, as always, the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com will have information about this episode and every episode that has ever been on this show. There's always links. Definitely go check that out. I try to curate that keep it interesting and give information and fun things and all that good news. Okay, that's it for all of the house chores. Stay safe, be well, big love, and uh, hang in there. Okay, here we go. I don't even know your last name. Uh, Scott. Oh, okay. Dylan yeah, Scott. Yeah, I'm a firsty firsty, like they say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I no, they probably say... uh, display a lot of the symptoms, but... <laughs> <laughs> Three first names. Dylan Scott, right. welcome. Dylan Edward Scott. Dylan Edward. Uh, oh, that's a great name for a serial killer. <laughs> so a... how do you know Winter? She and I met... Uh, well, I started... We have a mutual friend, and so she and I met through Facebook because of our mutual friend, Rachel. Okay. And then uh, I was following Winter's posts, and they're so funny, and she's so funny. And uh, so I said, please be on my show, and it took a little coaxing, I feel like. She finally said yes. Yeah, yeah. Finally. So. She said her friend had to um, uh, feed her wine. <laughs> to get her comfortable enough you know yeah i uh i i we opened a bottle of wine or maybe we had a bottle of wine i forget no there was one open already that's right because i was at my friend ellen's i was crashing at my friend ellen's because she lives in tennessee and i live in los angeles so i came in to do interviews and stuff so winter came over to ellen's place and we had wine it was fun winter is a riot Oh, yeah, she is. See, I'm not friends. I don't have a Facebook, so I don't get to see what she posts. Oh. But I saw her do line uh, stand-up one time. Yeah. 
It was really good. Yeah, she's she's very funny. She had everyone in there laughing. Dylan Scott, the boy with three first names who isn't a serial killer, welcome to Hate Human. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is a first for me because I know absolutely nothing about you. Super. And this is a first for me. I've never been on a podcast, so we're doing it together. It's going to be an adventure. I'm very excited. Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, Our mutual friend, Winter, uh, uh, introduced us. Winter was on the show, and uh, I'd like to think of her as a friend of mine. I don't know her very well, but after after that uh, afternoon, I would consider her a friend. She's delightful and ridiculous and crazy and just funny. She suggested... Or I guess you two talked, and you wanted to be on the show. Is that how it... I listened to um, the one you did with Winter, and uh, I thought uh, I should give it a try, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and how did you and Winter meet? Um, we actually met in the psych ward. Okay. Yeah, um, I think she talked about me for a few seconds on uh, the show you did with her, so... Yeah, but they don't necessarily know that. <laughs> <laughs> the people listening. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they go back. It's okay and... if they do. But <laughs> what were you doing in the psych ward? Um, let's see. Well, I had just gotten out of a bad breakup. Um, and I had um a collapsed lung from jeweling, and um, so I went into the hospital. I mean, I'm talking like full blown panic attack, and so to uh counteract the panic attack they gave me ativan which they didn't tell me what they were giving um but i'm allergic to ativan <laughs> yeah so um i guess the state of tennessee doesn't know that but the state of alabama does <laughs> so um i like blacked out for about four days ended up at my family reunion and i had relapsed i hit my dealer up i had been clean for a good I don't know, six months or so, until my dealer comes into the driveway of the family reunion. I had stepped, I don't really remember, this is what they told me, gone into his car, used, and uh, overdosed. They thought, you know, since that was happening right after um, I had gotten broken up with, that uh, there was a correlation, and um, were afraid for my safety, you know, so... What were you Ended using? Up. What was it? Uh, heroin. Oh, okay. So yes, a pretty yes. intense drug. When you said that you were uh, four days blacked out, you were moving about the country, or were you blacked out, blacked out? Um, I was blacked out, blacked out. See, the first time they gave me Ativan was in rehab in Alabama, like two years ago. The reaction I had from it, it, it was a really weird reaction. Um, I remember going to the nurses and telling them, like, something is not right, like... I haven't slept for like four days, but like, I'm not tired at all, you know? So they're like, okay, well, uh, we're gonna take you to the emergency room to get checked up. And that's the last thing I remember. I apparently was coherent on my way to the hospital, but as soon as I got into uh, the emergency room, I started seizing and it wouldn't stop. So they had to um, induce a coma and uh, put me on life support for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah. remember anything from being in the coma? No, no. Um, I do remember one time my dad came over and uh, they had to drive to Alabama from Tennessee. And whenever they got down there, uh, he put his hand on my head and I guess was looking into my eyes. And for a second, I woke up and looked up at him and um, I thought I was still in the rehab center and having a dream about my dad you know um so wow that's yeah, so wild. yeah all right let's go backwards let's start at the beginning so you were raised up uh there um raised up i was born in antioch and then we moved to rutherford county in tennessee I, yeah i saw you had a 615 area code yeah are you from here too i lived in nashville for 13 years Okay, so do you, you know Murfreesboro? I do, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I grew up, so. Okay, got it. Yeah. All right, yeah. and uh, what was your, as a little kid, what were your hopes and dreams and things? Did you have stuff you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. I would say a lot of my aspirations came a little bit later, like in my teenage years. I found out that, like, I really like foreign languages. 
um, and I like to talk, <laughs> hence why I asked to be on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't know. I wanted to uh, interpret. I wanted to um, interpret for the UN. They have six languages that you would have to learn. It's English, French, Spanish, Russian, Arabic, and Mandarin Chinese. And I wanted to learn all six of those, but you know. Yeah, I've killed a couple brain cells in <laughs> since then. <laughs> uh, did did so. you start out studying uh, the languages, or did you just not really get to that point? Say that one more time. Did you start out studying them and then put it aside, or did you not not even get to that point? Well, back in high school, I went to a magnet high school, so they were like really advanced with their classes. I was studying German, Spanish, and French back then, and I never really got too far with the German and the Spanish um, as far as I got with the French. So yeah, I I was just about to the point of fluency, I'd say. But that was about six years ago, and I haven't had too many opportunities to practice my French since then. Sure. When did you start using? Uh, let's see. Sometimes it's one big giant blur, you know. But I would say about 21 years old. It started out with Percocet. I was selling weed, and someone I was selling weed to, their mom had Percocet. So she would come over, and she would. Tr uh, we would trade basically. So it's kind of like I had this pretty much unlimited supply of Percocet that I was eating because I wait tables so it's kind of like a, 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 a performance enhancer mentally like emotionally and physically and then one day I stopped cold turkey and just got extremely dope sick for the first time and I had no idea that that was a thing <laughs> So I went to the emergency room thinking like my uh, spleen ruptured or something and uh, they're doing all these tests on me and as they're doing all these tests on me they're like pumping me full of more painkillers. <laughs> so yeah, it was just a slippery slope. Did you smoke weed when you sold it before you started doing the Percocet? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's so your drug use started with weed, not Percocet. Uh, yes, it started with weed, yeah. My opioid use started with Percocet. Got it, got it. Yeah. Why, what, I'm always curious to know what made you make that first decision to take it. To take Percocet. the Percocet? I feel, um, because I feel like weed is just sort of your, everybody takes, you Yeah, know. I don't know, I had a friend group back in high school that was very daring, so I had been around like acid, shrooms, and Adderall, Stuff like that. Nowhere near the level of like opioids, though. Did you take all that stuff? Did you take shrooms and acid and? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And then looking at like the weed aspect of it all, uh, there's lots of like misinformation about it, like about how harmful it can be. And I never experienced that firsthand, so I didn't really believe a lot of the propaganda around drugs. <laughs> but I figured out the hard way that it is true, you know. Yeah. What, was your family tight? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, We are tight now. I'll put it like that. Did they Did they notice your drug use when you were young? Yeah, but I, it didn't go further than weed, really. Yeah. Yeah. And you developed a pretty decent habit of the Percocet right away? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Did that freak you out, or were you just sort of rolling with it? I was just sort of rolling with it. And this... That was pretty much before I figured out what withdrawing was, you know? Um, I didn't think that there was going to be really any detriment to consuming large quantities of opioids on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> so when you got out of uh, the first bad situation when you were realizing that it, it was a problem and that you were getting dope sick, did you pick it back up right away or did you... Now... Yes, I picked it back up right away, but there is um, another uh, synthetic opioid out there called Suboxone, and that's supposed to wean you off of the hard stuff, and then you're supposed to wean off of it, but it's just as addictive as the rest of them, you know? So it was like a feeble attempt to to kind of get my stuff together, but... When did, yeah. you, when did you move on to heroin? Um, whenever our supply of Percocet ran dry. Because it was like a monthly thing. Like, she would get her prescription once a month. One month, I guess, we had ran out early. And I hit somebody up that uh, I thought would know where it was. And I uh, just got lucky enough that uh, the dealer that he had was right down the road from me. 
Yeah. <laughs> How did you take heroin? What was your method? To begin with, it was snorting. And then I figured out we had a diabetic neighbor um, around my age, too. So I was using Percocet with my friend's mom. So we used the excuse that she had diabetes to get some of his syringes and that's how we started using uh intravenously were you sharing needles probably yeah 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 are you, do, are, uh -huh. you are you hiv positive or anything uh, i'm hiv negative but i did contract uh, hepatitis c mm -hmm. and i figured that out actually uh whenever i was in the psych ward with winter through the blood work that they did okay yeah they told you then uh-huh yeah. and it's curable but it's like 10 weeks worth of pills and it's like it's really expensive too so sure it's just a matter of time before i can hopefully you know uh be able to get those <laughs> has the hep c made you sick at all no no um I'm, there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic from it for a you know even up to like a decade so uh, do you know when you you probably contracted it back then? I guess though. Uh, I would say I contracted it um, this time last year. Oh okay. Yeah. And how old yeah. are you? I'm 24. Oh, you're still real young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I contracted it from a 17-year-old who I didn't know was 17 at the time. You know, I, I wasn't planning on um, shooting up opiates with a minor you know um <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, i get that uh so the psych ward tell me about that uh, experience what what was your day-to-day -day and what were you what were they trying to help you with obviously they thought you were mourning the loss of a breakup and you were using so how did they what did they do what was their steps now, I really have nothing good to say about that psych ward. I feel like, honestly, it was extremely detrimental to my mental health. Um, basically, the first time I saw the psychiatrist, he came into the room. And, you know, after the, the four-day blackout of Ativan, I come to and I'm in a psych ward. I'm like, what? You know? So he came in and I, I, I'm putting two and two together and I'm like pretty ashamed, you know, that I had overdosed at my family reunion at my grandmother's house, you know? I'm avoiding eye contact with him. And um, based off like the two-minute observation that, or the two-minute interaction that we had, he diagnosed me with uh, autism spectrum disorder. Because yeah. you weren't looking at him. Exactly. And there's it says in the um, like psychiatric handbook, I'm not sure of the name, like the DSM or something like that, that you're not supposed to diagnose someone who's in active addiction, you know? Yeah. So I felt like there was a lot of um, mishaps like that. Uh, continuously <laughs> and I feel like I don't know I may exhibit some signs of autism spectrum disorder but I feel like they they gave me four diagnoses um ADHD depression anxiety and autism spectrum disorder I felt personally that they were trying to just milk my insurance so I know I'm like telling people that in there and I probably sound crazy <laughs> no not at all I don't know it's just I have a lot of bad memories of that place what was the day-to-day -day like? Let's see. Well, for the first week, I was in the medical unit um, because the day prior to me going in there was the day that I overdosed. So they wanted to keep an eye on me. So they put me in the, um, I don't know, like the geriatrics unit or something. So I was in there with nothing but like uh, dementia patients and Alzheimer's, you know? Yeah. So um, there was really, it was, I don't know. So... They had a TV in my room. I was the only person in my room. So for the first week, they were trying to just throw pills down my throat. And I sat in a bed and watched TV for a week. And after that happened, um, I'm like, yo, I'm ready to get out of here. Like, this isn't beneficial in any way, you know? And so they were like, okay, well, we're going to move you to a different unit with people around your age. So, but while I was in the senior um the senior ward or whatever the nurses okay a, a lot of the patients um 
at that age were taking narcotics and I would just find them all over the floor. Like, I don't know if like they were spitting them out or the nurses were dropping them or what, but it's just like extremely unprofessional, you know, and tempting to a drug addict to fucking, you know, <laughs> with nothing else to do. But, you know, there's drugs. So. Mm -hmm. And how long were you there? Not in the one part, but in the whole experience. In the whole. This is like pretty much unheard of. <laughs> I was there for 17 days. Yeah. So whenever I moved to the second unit, I met one woman who stayed there for five days and she was in there because she shot somebody and she didn't shower the entire time, but they let her leave after five days. So I felt like that just backed up my opinion that they were milking my insurance, you know? Mm -hmm. So did your parents put you in there or did the police? Um, my mother did and I resented her for it for a long time. <laughs> Cause it was torture. Like, I've been to jail for four, uh, for forty five days before, and that was a cakewalk compared to seventeen days in the psych ward. What were you in jail for? Um, back then it was all marijuana. I was put on probation for marijuana, and then would fail a drug test for marijuana, and uh, yeah. So, <laughs> have you since forgiven your mom? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. It was a little hard, <laughs> you what, know? What got you there? Um, to forgiving her? Um, time. Time, really. Um, now we're able to laugh about it, you know? So. <laughs> what were some of the other experiences that you had in the ward? There were some physical altercations. There were a lot of HIPAA violations as well. I don't know. Um, what do you, as in they were telling other people's issues or... Well, they would leave, like, what I saw, uh, I don't know, they uh, did blood work on somebody, and um, they left it out, and I just, like, having to glance over and figure out that this patient is positive for hepatitis C as well, you know, just, like, it was just extremely poorly ran, you know, but my first day that they transferred me up to the second unit that I went to, I went straight to sleep, and... We all got woken up because there was a, tor a tornado in Murfreesboro. So we all had to go to, like, this hallway or whatever. Well, I hadn't seen that they, like, uh, switched shifts over to night shift. So I turned the corner. <laughs> I can't make this up. I turned the corner, and um, there's this girl that I went to high school with who was, like, really pretty, really popular, you know? But she's in a nursing uniform, <laughs> I was like, oh, God. And she recognized me. <laughs> so. Man, how did, how did you come to be able to finally leave? Let's see. I agreed to go to a second facility that was a lot less strict. They would let you outside. Like, I didn't go outside for 17 days. Like, I don't, how is that supposed to be beneficial to my mental health? But, yeah, so I agreed to go to the second place just to get out of the first place because <laughs> it was that bad. I was honestly thinking about en route to the second place, just like jumping out of the car and running. Like, it, I was that stressed out, you know? It was horrible. <laughs> but the girl that I went to um, high school with, we talked a few times and um, she was telling me stories about her life and it sounded equally as fucked up as mine. And I, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that like everybody has everybody's life is kind of fucked up some people are just better at hiding it you know <laughs> or or managing it i suppose yeah 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 yeah, yeah so. i would agree with that statement <laughs> uh, how long were you in the second facility um 50 days whoa why is yeah this long? was this was a long-term residential uh treatment oh so that was for drug, drug treatment um not drug treatment oh. uh it was uh, uh mental health what did you do in there for 50 days? That's a long time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, well, there they had therapists, unlike the first place. So we had good therapy sessions. Um, I wasn't a big fan of my psychiatrist, but I met with him a few times. We had uh, group sessions as well as individual. And then we would do like some nature stuff sometime as well. So. Did you feel that the 50 days helped? 
Yes. Not in, uh, like, a mental health way, but I knew that if I had just done the first day in Murfreesboro for the 17 days and then was free, I probably, I was not mentally ready. I wouldn't have stayed sober. So the second place just gave me enough time to, for my body to uh, rejuvenate and, like, reverse some of the damage I had done to it. You know, to just make it through the day. <laughs> yeah. Are you sober now? Uh-huh. How long have you been sober now? Oh, God. Um, let's see. I'm not sure. I would say a few months, or maybe like six months or so. I did exit the uh, second treatment facility the one in Knoxville that I did 50 days at, I did relapse the first time I used uh, and overdosed again. So that was kind of like an extra punch in the face, wake up call to, um, you know, like, what the fuck are you doing? I've heard that <laughs> that's not uncommon that when people get out of treatment and that they use again, that they overdose because they use with the same amounts that they used before they went in. Yeah, yeah. See, I was used to doing heroin, and then the stuff I bought from this guy wasn't heroin. Um, it was fentanyl. So I thought that, like, I was sold some something fake or, like, something really cut down. So I was like, well, um, I'm just going to do all of this because I don't think I'm going to feel it unless I do all of it. So I did all of it, and luckily... Um, I had a friend in the motel room with me who didn't use, who has never used. I, she called my dealer of all people. And my dealer is the one who came and Narcanned me back to life. So wow. you don't hear that happening too often. But Does your dealer uh, try to get you to buy from them still? Oh, yeah. Not so much dealers, but I have, because um, I deleted all of their numbers, but I have some friends that I used to use with that I am rooting for that I still talk to you know and with this quarantine and everything happening I think that like they're out of work so they're hitting people up like um hey like do you want to go get some drugs to get high because you know that's you know if because if I was to buy some I would have to share some with them you know <laughs> yeah all right, what keeps you from doing it? Okay, this kind of goes back to that ex. <laughs> I just want to be able to live my best life and one day be, like, super-duper successful just so I can kind of rub it in his face. <laughs> so revenge is my <laughs> biggest motive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A tried-and-true thing, I think, through the ages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you going to uh, get into languages again, do you think? Actually, I and th after the psych ward thing, I would like to get into therapy, I think. Yeah, so... That's cool. Yeah. Well, have you started looking into that? Um, no, no. I'm the world's biggest procrastinator. I actually went to a psychiatrist recently for the ADHD. You know, the medicine that they normally prescribe for ADHD is a narcotic. I didn't know that, no. Um, yeah, it's a stimulant. Um, oh, I guess that, that makes sense, yeah. So, she, and I was honest with her about my drug use in, the, in my past. So, she wasn't able to prescribe me that. Um, which is understandable, I guess. I don't know. So, but I am a little upset that I don't get the same treatment as everybody else just for some mistakes I made in the past, you know? Because college is hard, you know? It is very hard. Do you think that they're not giving it to you, though, because they're worried of you re, uh, you falling off the, you know, the society? Yeah, um... Well, there are some other options that we're trying now. So far, two of them haven't worked, and the third one is way too expensive for me. But I'm still giving a try to one of the first two that I mentioned. But then she also told me that there have been studies that um, show that addicts with ADHD actually are better at holding their sobriety on the narcotic me medication. So, Adderall. I'm thinking Adderall is what you get, right? Yeah, Adderall. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, I guess that is it. I did know that because Adderall Speed, the mama's little helper thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it, I know that you said that you're motivated by revenge and all that. Um, has this all given you a deeper sense of yourself, especially right now because we are all locked away in our rooms and things? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say the quarantine has shown me what, shown me that I want to be more successful than I am now because at this point I'm out of money. I feel like a moocher, you know, and I don't want to be like that. You know, I would like to be, if something like this ever happened again, I would like to be well financially prepared, you know, I'm sorry. I forgot the original question you asked. Oh, I just, I, I was wondering if the looking inward part of being alone, being in quarantine, realizing what you need to do in order to, as you said, have the best revenge, things like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, to be honest. That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. You're not compelled to use it all, though, right? Um, no, I am. Oh, you are? Um, yeah, yeah. There's something called post-acute withdrawal syndrome, and that's over... Uh, well, that begins whenever the immediate withdrawals are over. Um, like the, the flu-like symptoms and the seizures and all that. Once that's over, um, starts the post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which is just like depression, anxiety, like inability to focus. And if you have done drugs long enough, it takes about two years to heal. And that's just like a scary thought, you know, to constantly be stuck in depression and, um, know that there's instant gratification waiting around the corner you know <laughs> it's a huge it's a huge um feat uh the, to be able to have gone as long as you have i think that's in- yeah. incredible oh yeah i um i tell myself like well i smoke cigarettes now so i'll use this as, as an example i tell myself that if i can quit heroin and fentanyl i can literally do anything <laughs> my my eldest brother uh he was a heroin user and he said that quitting cigarettes was harder than quitting heroin and it took oh, him, really? it took him three tries to quit heroin oh wow oh, yeah. wow um that's it's kind of been vice versa for me <laughs> so thank god for that <laughs> <laughs> what do you have siblings uh uh-huh. i have an older brother um and a younger sister are they sober or are they do they my sister yeah she is um uh, kind of like the poster child for what my mom wanted, I guess, you know? Um, and I love her dealer, don't get me wrong. But no, she has never really, I think maybe she's drank a few times, you know? My brother, uh, I remember, uh, being young and, you know, him being older and him getting into some trouble. But currently, I don't think he, uh, struggles with any addiction, so. What are you going to do when you get out of, uh, lockdown? Um, I want to work my ass off. <laughs> I wanna, honestly, like I, like I said, I wait tables. It's uh, something that I uh, enjoy a lot, you know. I actually had um, an interview at a bar in downtown Nashville like three days before the whole corona stuff hit in the U.S. Hopefully, whenever the lockdown lifts, uh, I'm able to go over there. Yeah. Have yeah. they talked to you? Have you talked to them? Do you know if it's going to be a, a job waiting for you? Um, they said to call them whenever all this is over. Okay. So we'll see. But uh, I got an email this week from the job that I am working at, about where they're shut down right now. But they said um, that they're planning on reopening next month. Uh, the state of Tennessee is doing that. I don't know if you know. I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they're talking about. Um, I think it's either like 50% capacity or just to-go orders or something. So, but that's kind of, we have a lot of servers. And so that's like, if you take half the servers off the floor, I don't know. I'd probably be only working like three shifts a week, you know? It's not a lot. So, Maybe you could yeah. work at a couple different places though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've been thinking. Yeah, I imagine there's going to be a lot of rotating work because of that reason. In order to, for people to maintain a living, they're going to have to have you know six jobs that are you only work oh, yeah. out one day a week or something you know? yeah yeah well i've been thinking um how 
just from my perspective, how lucky I am with everything that's been going on. Just uh, like my parents are very supportive you know they're gonna make sure that i don't go hungry and stuff like that you know and i know other people don't have that so i've kind of had to like check my own privilege you know and i appreciate it a lot you know mm -hmm. and it's not i've never really thought about uh my parents in that way until now you know i've never been grateful for them in that way until now so they must be very proud of you Oh yeah, oh yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so when you go into therapy someday, uh, and specifically then drug drug addiction type work, I assume. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, any any other aspirations of the? Do you do art things? Do you are you musical? Do you have any other? I have just recently found out that my artistic outlet is writing. Yeah, so if there's um. I don't know. There's there's got to be some type of way to like incorporate that into therapy. But I also am really big. I don't make music, but um, I'm a big music head myself, and uh, I love the thought of dance therapy. You know? Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> I have a friend here in California that um, he goes to. They're called. I guess they're called silent discos. So everybody has their yeah. own music, and they're just dancing around this big auditorium. And everyone's dancing, and however wild and woolly you want to be, and he says it's great. And I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said to him, like, isn't it sort of embarrassing at first? And he said, well, <laughs> you kind of get over it really quickly, and then you're just free. And I thought, well, oh, yeah. that sounds pretty cool, you know? There's something like, a, almost like tribal about it, you know? For sure. Um, yeah, it feels amazing. <laughs> For sure. What uh, advice might you give to people who are struggling with addiction right now i would say oh that's a hard one a lot of them and a lot of people struggling with addiction forget what um life was like before you know they forget how it feels to wake up and not have to worry about getting your next high and i think that like once you overcome that uh it's a humongous relief Totally. Something else I wanted to say. My brain isn't the best, though. <laughs> mm, no, that thought is flu. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. If you think of it, you can say it. All right, <laughs> thank you. Whenever it comes to mind. <laughs> uh, how much money was it costing you to... to... Oh. I remember. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and to the people that are clean, that are thinking about using again, and just from my own personal experience... You always forget how dark and rocky rock bottom is until you get there again. Does that make sense, you it know? Yes, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were you scared about losing your life? No, no. Um, I was... I Honestly, I, I'm not afraid of death, to be honest. Um, I told a therapist one time... And I didn't mean it in any suicidal way, but she took it in a suicidal way that, you know, um, death is inevitable. And if I had to choose how I was going to die, an opioid overdose is number one. I know that might sound like fucked up, but it's like quick and painless. And, you know, everyone wants a quick and painless death. So there you go. <laughs> I feel like uh, there are many people that uh, would agree with you, in fact. Yeah. So. I've heard of some addicts um, that are just ready to die, you know? And I've heard some family members say after one of their own has passed that uh, they're happy that they have passed because now they're no longer having to struggle with the addiction. So, Knowing that things like fentanyl get mixed into drugs, did that not worry you that that could be your last... I'm um, you're not afraid to die, but still there, there's that specter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, I would say I was a um, mostly responsible user. And I know I had just told you that I overdosed twice. <laughs> but, you know, the first time was in that blackout. And then the second time, I was just being stupid. So, uh, 
but other than that, like, there's a lot of little precautions you can take to, you know, test stuff out and all that, the potency and all that, so. How much money was, how, how expensive was your habit? See, I was waiting tables at the time, and I would make about, like, $200 a shift, which was weird. Like, the higher I was, the more tips I made. And That's crazy to me. And then, uh, you know, selling the weed as well. I was spending anywhere from like 150 to 300 dollars a day whoa yeah yeah and that hurts to think about you know because here i am now sitting broke <laughs> wow and how yeah. long so how many years has your habit been um that habit that particular 200 that average. particular habit i would say lasted about maybe four months because that took me straight to, like, the rock bottom that kind of got me out of the addiction, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, ir- the irony of that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing that puts you there is the thing that takes you out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think, though, that, like, they're lacing non-opioids with fentanyl. Like, that is what concerns me. Because... There's a lot of, uh, I f- like, I feel like misinformation in the news about fentanyl. Like, you know, like one speck is going to kill you. Um, uh, and that's not really the case. Um, but, uh, I mean, most um, opiate users know what they're doing with fentanyl. But, you know, people that don't use opiates and are doing cocaine or um, smoking weed, they're lacing that stuff with fentanyl as well. And that's where it gets, like, really dangerous, you know? And I feel like that's kind of a dick move on the dealer's end because he's just hoping this person gets more addicted to the product. So, yeah, and they're hedging their bets; it, it doesn't kill them, I suppose. Yeah. Do you yeah. carry Narcan around yourself? I do not. I, uh, I should. I recently, whenever I was living in Knoxville, um, was walking to the grocery store, and um, there's this man laying in uh, the bushes. And I, like, woke him up. I, like, had to shake him hard to wake him up. I was like, are you okay? And he was like, yeah. Told him, I was like, I'm going to go into the grocery store. I'll grab you a bottle of water. And I came back out of the grocery store, and uh, he was turning blue. So I had to call the cops. They wanted me to, like, check if he was breathing and all that stuff. Just, like, thinking that that could have been me, I told them. I was like, I can't stay around and, um, and, and until you guys come like i have for my own mental health i have to go you know so um but yeah that instance alone should have me carrying narcan but (laughs) do you think that that's what had happened to the guy yeah 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 there's like a an old junkie saying (laughs) it takes one to know one you know so (laughs) i can kind of sniff him out at this point (laughs) so interesting i really thank you uh i appreciate your story oh yeah I think it's important for people to hear the real stories, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's something that, like, AA and NA has kind of taught me is, um, like, don't have a filter, you know? Get your truth out as much as you can, you know? Are you doing <laughs> meetings while you're in quarantine or lockdown? Or whatever? No, no. I uh, wasn't really doing too many meetings before the coronavirus happened. I, 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 it might have to do with my ADHD, but just sitting around and talking about a substance you love, um, I, by the end of it, I'm like itching, you know, to um, <laughs> go use. And I didn't have that before the meeting, so um, I kind of stopped going to those. <laughs> I, I think you have to know what works for you. So yeah, if, if yeah. That and it work. works for some. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. For sure. That's a really good point. <laughs> and then there's such a big difference in AA and NA alone. Like, AA is um, just a bunch of older people, pretty much. And NA is where you're going to find all the, like, middle-aged to young addicts. But I've heard sometimes that NA meetings are, like, kind of like an open-air market. Because they're most of them are prescribed narcotics, so th- they go there to sell their product. It's crazy. Oh, that's not yeah. good. Yeah. Ugh. What do you think is the you personally is this is a big question I know, but what do you think personally is the reason why people 
use? Huh. I know everybody's got an individual reason, but what do you think there's an over, you know, an overlay to it all? I think whether we like to admit it or not, being a human is pretty painful sometimes. <laughs> um, whether it's like psychologically, mentally, physically, I feel like if you're not going through pain, it's right around the corner, pretty much. I don't know. And then there is, I know you said not personally, but I'll answer the personal point. I, heroin made me feel the most me I've ever felt. It just, because I like to think of love as like, I have an unlimited amount to give, so I can give it all the time. But whenever I'm high on heroin, I'm able to practice that with so much ease, you know? So it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> is that your favorite drug of all, of all the drugs you've done then? Uh, yeah. 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 It. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're promoting. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, thank you. And thank you for being so open and, uh, and honest. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Did you want to cover anything else before we go? I don't know. I, I know of a question, actually. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we bring up relationships, and I think that a lot of people uh, use anything from alcohol to sex to drugs in order to be in relationships. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, to order, be in a relationship with a substance or with another? With another person. So, yeah. you know, like they have to have a couple drinks to loosen up to be on a date or, or less use, inhibitions and all that. Yeah. Or they use sex because if they use sex, they don't have to get to the intimacy necessarily, you know, things yeah. like that. Has your sobriety changed how you, you bring up love, but has it changed how you love others and yourself? Oh, I don't know. I haven't really uh, had a chance to experience romantic love since I've been sober. Huh. Sorry, that ADHD gets me sometimes. <laughs> do you mind repeating that really quick? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, do, with in regards to romantic love, let's since you haven't experienced it yet since being sober, are you nervous about experiencing it and being sober in that realm? Because you um, probably relied on these the drugs and and things to. Make well, you feel um, more like you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited to um, experience it without the, the drug-induced euphoria. I will say, though, that, like, in the last relationship, the one I keep bringing up, <laughs> I fell in love with the dude. We dated a year. Um, I fell in love with him because he was sober and was able to be himself. But at the end of the relationship, whenever we broke up, I feel like he did not know me like even one percent because i spent the whole time you know i spent the whole year nodding out you know sure. and that's a humongous regret <laughs> well it's interesting so. because you said that while you used it made you feel the most you you've ever been so what do you mean by i guess i'm curious to, to know what that means exactly i'm the most you or sorry now, now i'm off the track i know what you're saying yeah. but yeah yeah <laughs> um i don't know it's i would say my perception of reality was very distorted. Does that make sense? So there's the, the, the distortion of what you on heroin was and compared to the reality of what you on heroin was. Yeah, Got yeah. Um, you romanticized uh, it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I guess I was unclear about that because I was like, oh, well, if you're more you on it, then how are you not you in love but now i understand there yeah you. yeah yeah plus like we would have like little uh scuttles and fights like um you know like i'm unable to pay rent for the third month in a row you know stuff like that takes a toll on the relationship totally yeah, for sure <laughs> he knew you were using the whole time right yeah he is actually i was too afraid to tell my parents that i was using and i needed to go to rehab so he's like the first sober person that I had told and um, I asked him to tell my parents 
and he did, and that's how I got into rehab the first time. Um, I would have tried to tell my parents on my own, but there's, like, no way that that would have been able to <laughs> come out of my mouth, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not this, the first time you did rehab then was before the blackout? No, that, the first rehab I went to was the one that, um, put me in the seizure and the life support thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I romanticize this dude way too much. Like, I give him way too much credit. He actually <laughs> cheated on me while I was on life support. Yeah. And I got back and had uh, contracted, he contracted herpes and um, ended up giving it to me. Oh, so, I'm yeah, um, I just, I give this guy way too much credit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you keep getting, you know, left turn, left turn, left turn. <laughs> yeah. How has that been, yeah. um, knowing, like, going into new relationships, knowing that you have herpes? Do you, are you scared to tell people, or are you... Not really. I try to have no shame, you know, because I feel like I'm a human being. I'm allowed to make some stupid mistakes. <laughs> like, I've earned that right. <laughs> um, but it's not... That isn't a stupid mistake. That was somebody cheated on you and brought an yeah, STD home. Yeah, so that's not yeah. that's nothing you did. You didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. I don't know. Yeah, it would definitely be something that I would tell a future partner, though. You know? Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, I think it's refreshing that you are without shame. And I think it's important. It's a great yeah. lesson for all of us to learn. Because I think shame is shoved down our throats constantly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's why I'm... I'm like, I feel honored to have grown up as like a queer kid because, you know, once you figure out that you're not a spawn of some demon, <laughs> like society has kind of forced down everybody else's throat, you start questioning a lot of things, you know? You, you figure out you're not such a bad person. Well, what else are they lying about, you know? But at the same time, that's kind of what led me down to the path of heroin was well if it's as bad as they say i'm gonna figure it out myself <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> you become your own uh, beta tester <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man well dylan thank you this has been a really uh interesting enlightening and lovely conversation <laughs> i appreciate it yeah. yeah thank you for the opportunity yeah of course <laughs> and uh take care of you and keep staying and getting and being healthy yeah. yeah. Awesome, awesome. For sure, for sure. Thank I promise. You. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.